This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Manners. Joining me is Jaleesa Apps from Channel 9. Jaleesa, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm absolutely pissed off that Australia did not close out the series against England. So there's Mad Manners straight up front. And then the other co-host today is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? I'm really good. Um, I'm really happy Australia lost that game. I think it's a good loss to have to to set them up for more important matches in the future. So I'm feeling really optimistic today. We know how you feel about English cricket. It's almost sickening how much of a sycophant you are for English cricket. It's it's awful. <laughs> no, this is because I think it's good for Australian cricket. Um, it was a, a, a pitch that might resemble a little bit what they're going to get in these next uh, white ball World Cups in India. So you better get used to it now. So in today's episode of Cricket Unfiltered, we're going to wrap up the first two one-day internationals of the Australia v England series. Going to look at all the cricket headlines as this dispute with Channel 7 continues. And then we're going to bring it on home with Can't Let It Go. Well, let's get straight into it. The first game of the one-day series, Australia Batted first, made nine for 294. England, in reply, made nine for 275. Australia winning the first game. I guess the first surprise was uh, Steve Smith sitting out the game with uh, because he was hitting the head in the nets and the management took the precaution of leaving him on the sidelines. Marcus Stoinis came in. And then they went for a classic Australian attack of Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark and Zampa. It was a four-pronged attack. What did you two think of the team selection? 
I thought it was great that Hazelwood was back in the setup. I, I think that uh, his performance, three for 26, and just the way that he bowled, uh, quick and penetrating. And I, I think that he's really putting up his hand now to be in our T20 side as well. Yeah, I agree. I think we spoke about this a little bit before that uh, when we were talking about what can Australia get out of this uh, series. And I think we were talking about it's what individuals can get out. And Hazelwood's really one of those ones that can prove, sort of cement that spot. And he's done a great job of it so far. I wasn't as shocked perhaps as you were men as about Steve Smith missing the second ODI, just because if there was any doubt lingering over him, even though he's the world's best player, you've got such a similar batter there in Lamborghini. So I, I, I've never been a fan of having them both in the same team when it's limited overs. So I wasn't as shocked, I guess, to leave him out. Well, I was completely flabbergasted that he didn't play in the second one day. But I, I do accept that if the medicos and the management think that it's just better for Smith to sit out one more game, then you've got to accept that with the knowledge we now know of head injuries and concussion. If it's just even a slight risk playing in that second game, then it wasn't worth it. So I have no problem with that. But but to your point, they, they, they've gone for a certain formula, haven't they? So they've got Warner and Finch, then they're going to slot Steve Smith in at three, but they've subbed in Stoinis for these two games, and then Marnus for Maxwell five, and then the lower order. So it seems like they, they have settled on uh, Marnus being the number four in the one-day team. And I'm happy with that. Um, I, I actually, I'm very happy with... Smith and Labashane being in the same side, even in T20 cricket now. I think they're close to our two best batsmen, even in T20 cricket. They're certainly our two best batsmen in red ball cricket. And I think they're both able to score a lot more quickly than people give them credit. I think that, yeah, Smith couldn't play if there's any doubt over him as far as concussion. But if he had played last in that second game, then Australia might well have won because what we lacked in the middle order was someone who could come in when conditions all of a sudden became very, very difficult and and uh, and get away, and that's I think that the class of Labuschagne was shown as to how easy he made it look and what was not an easier pitch. In the first One Day Internationals, the Australians slumped to five for one hundred and twenty-three, but then Mitchell Marsh made seventy-three off a hundred deliveries, and Glenn Maxwell made seventy-seven off fifty-nine. Those two put on one hundred and twenty-six, really got Australia up to that competitive total of nine. For 294. But I have to say, Glenn Maxwell's dismissal really frustrated me in that first one day international. And I can see why he drives coaches up the wall. So he, so he hits Archer for two big sixes and he has the English bowling attack at his mercy. And then he tries to, to play another big shot, third, third in a row off Archer, you know, bottom edges it onto his stumps. You know, a smarter player after you've hit Archer for two sixes, just nurdles the ball, gets off strike, hits up the other end and thinks, all right, we've already got 13 off this over. I want to be here for another 10 overs doing this, not trying to, you know, hit every ball for six. So that really frustrated me. How would you have felt if he batted for another 41 balls and scored negative four? What do you mean? Well, that would have done what Mitch Marsh did. Um, Mitch Marsh took 41 more balls than Maxwell and scored four runs less than him. I don't disagree with your criticism of, of Maxwell. I, f- I feel equally frustrated. But I think that if they're going to be congratulating Mitchell Marsh on that innings, and it was, it was a decent innings, 
you've got to put it in Maxwell's innings in perspective. Ultimately, 77 off 59, he, he does things that few other people can do. And I think this is another example of that. I mean, I agree, but I just think in this case, it's why he drives coaches up the wall because he had a hundred right there for the taking and Australia fell away a lot at the end of their innings, which didn't cost them the game, but it could have. So that's my thoughts about Maxwell. Then the game was decided by a vicious opening spell by Josh Hazelwood. He was supported by Stark and Cummins, but England were two for 13 after 7.1 overs when Root was out. And then they scrambled to five for 170 after 35 overs. And it looked like they weren't even going to get near the Aussie total. But uh, Sam Billings, the Sydney Sixers former player, hit 118. Uh, but it wasn't enough and uh, they fell short. Josh Hazelwood, the man of the match, with three for 26. Also, Adam Zampa took four for 55. So really good innings by a really good match by the Aussies to start that series. It was a good win, but my concern is that it's been two games in a row now where Australia has allowed England to turn a, a pretty poor to- total into something that was half, halfway decent. So the five-time world champions defeated the one-time world champions in the first game. Then we moved on to the second game. And, uh, I mean... This game is just a complete stuff up by the Australians. England have not lost a one-day series, a bilateral one-day series since 2015. Australia had them on toast and we let them off. And I think it's a bad sign for the next game. But England were eight for 149 and Australia were two for 144 at different stages of this game. And somehow Australia lost. England made eight for 231 batting first and Australia were dismissed for 207, as I said, after being two for 144. You could see Justin Langer on the dressing room uh, balcony was getting very annoyed. And and this was a colossal stuff up by the Aussies. I actually went to bed thinking, I went to bed thinking that the game was done. I was like, oh, well, this is, we've got this in the bag. I'm going to bed. I couldn't believe it when I woke up in the morning and we'd lost. I made a tactical decision to sleep when England were eight out thinking I'll, I'll sleep for an hour and a half or so. They won't, they'll scramble to not many and then I'll wake up and watch the Australian innings. So I was half asleep watching the Australian innings and suddenly looked at the scoreboard. Wait a bit, how did they get to 230? I almost thought that was a mistake. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. So I was almost in the same boat. To your point, Menas, it was, um, Finch was really angry as well. He's, he's such a good guy that you can't, it's not obvious, but in the, in the post-match interview, they said, you must be happy with your own form. And he went, no, um, you know, I should have won us the game. And, Talking to the BBC, he was very polite, but using you know six or seven word answers rather than a, than a normal answer. And they, they remarked on how tight-lipped he was. So I reckon it would have been a pretty interesting dressing room after that game. The, the only thing is that England do bat very deep. And Adil Rashid, who made 35, has 10 first-class centuries. I mean, that's nothing to be scoffed at, even though they're county cricket centuries. So it's probably you know, three or four first-class centuries if you convert that to an Australian ratio. Um, <laughs> but, and then Tom Curran, who's a very good player, made 37, and he's done well for the Sixers with the bat. So we've seen him do it, but Australia just should have, have wrapped this game up. And I just can't believe Australia lost four for three, which is our equal worst ever collapse in a one-dayer losing between your third and six wickets. That's the, the worst it's ever been. Not a record the Aussies will be happy with. It didn't surprise me. I mean, I didn't expect it to be like that. But when the pitch was starting to play a few tricks and I thought, okay, Finch is in and he's handling it well. 
Labashain is in and he may well he may well be the second best batsman of all time. What's going to happen when we lose a wicket? And so I actually backed England at odds of ten to one to go to kind of give me some emotional um, emotional insurance if that did happen. And I've got to tell you that looking through my pocket when Mitchell Marsh walked out the bat, I had my hands rubbing in glee because I thought he's going to get out here. And then as much as I love Maxwell, I kind of felt the same way about him. And I think both of them, if you look at their dismissals, yeah, the balls were good. There's no doubt about that. They got really good balls, but they weren't as hard-nosed as they should have been. They should have been on the front foot, playing with the absolute minimum of backlift, not trying to score a run. They're both just a little bit wafty, even Finch a little bit the way he got out. So yeah, certainly a very disappointing collapse. What do you two think of Alex Carey's performance in that game and the first two games? I kind of feel that he's not really settled in his role yet. They you know, throw him at the top of the order, down the order. I don't even know if he's that good batting with the tail. I thought two things. One, tactically, it was very old-fashioned where he kept on taking singles and exposing Hazelwood and Zampa. And I thought that was poor. I think that's against the modern way. The modern way is... The, the, the clearly best batsman's got to say, I have to be camped on strike and we've got to forego a few singles. But in terms of the actual way that he played, I think he did a good job because I think it was extremely tough batting. And you, you looked at all of the Aussies getting rolled over. For him to make 36 off 41, yes, he didn't win us the game, but I, I think he, he made a pretty good fist of a very, very difficult situation. And maybe he should have been the one that came in earlier. Remember when he came in early in one of the T20s ahead of mm-hmm. Smith? I think they should have done that in this game because I think he would have been better off coming in rather than Maxwell and, and Mitchell Marsh in that situation. I think it's just hard to judge. I think they just haven't quite found the right spot for him yet. And when they do, I think he'll be a lot better. But, I, yeah, I, I just don't think he's quite settled into anything yet. All right. That was the first two one-day internationals against England. The series delicately poised at 1-0 before the decider Uh, Wednesday uh, England time and uh, as I predicted in the last podcast Australia did win the final T20 of the series to maintain their number one ranking in T20 cricket in the world thus making Australia the greatest cricket nation in the world currently ranked number one in two of the three formats and uh, it has been confirmed that the Australian team that comes back from this English tour the players that don't go to the IPL will be quarantining in Adelaide at the Oval Hotel and are able to train. So all the concerns about whether Australia's bowlers could train has been laid to rest. Good result. And Adelaide's a pretty good place to be quarantined, I would say. Well, Manners, we have to pay tribute to you. You've been on here for many, many times saying that all cricket grounds should have a hotel and you've copped a little bit of ridicule for it. But here, um, you've been proven exactly right. Perth weren't willing to do it because the, the neither ground has a hotel. Adelaide were willing to do it because of the hotel. So, you know, I, I bow to your greater wisdom and I do now support the idea of the SCG getting a hotel. <laughs> Absolute visionary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up after the break, the cricket headlines. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Manners. I'm with Paul and Jaleesa. And it's time to get into all the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. First headline, the dispute between Channel 7 and Cricket Australia has taken another step with Channel 7 starting the process of terminating their contract with Cricket Australia. 
Cricket Australia have 14 days to respond and Channel 7 sent a letter off to CA last week. Robert Craddock from the Courier-Mail wrote that Channel 7 lost $60 million last summer and with Seven's total value at only $177 million, with COVID restrictions this year, they could almost lose half their value this summer. I mean, when you put those figures there like that, it's pretty clear why Channel 7 want to jump ship. Yeah, big time. I mean, they're they're facing sort of a crisis for existence. So all niceties go out the door and they're, they're battling for survival. And, you know, you kind of can't blame them for just trying everything because um, that's, that's how serious the situation is. This is exactly the same as what happened in NRL, really. We're just seeing the play. I, I guess NRL was in a little bit of a better bargaining position, but we're just seeing it play out the same, that COVID changed things broadcasters aren't making as much money and this is just a way to renegotiate. We're just going to see, I think everyone's forgot, everyone sort of looks at this and and does think it's a bit of a crisis and it isn't great, but this happened in NRL too. Like nine and NRL were at war and there was all these, you know, headlines and it was all playing out in the media and everything and everyone got what they wanted in the end. it's, It's part of COVID, unfortunately. I mean, I do understand that it's part of a negotiating tactic, but I, I think Cricket Australia do have a lot to answer for here. They have to make some concessions at some stage to their broadcasters. And I've said before that some of those concessions could be just shrinking the big bash in number of games and give a discount. But I'm hearing that Channel 7 actually asked CA to think about scrapping the Big Bash entirely this summer, which would be ludicrous. Like I, I can see shrinking it, but just scrapping it all together seems like a ridiculous notion. It's very depressing because at this time of year, what you want on your host broadcaster is they should be promoting the hell out of the upcoming season. There should be every excuse that they should have to be talking cricket, cricket and cricket. And, and obviously the absolute opposite of that is happening. They're talking about cancelling competitions. It's, um, it's a really sad situation to be in. Uh, Jeff Lemon was writing in The Guardian in the, in the last couple of days about how Cricket Australia had been given, what was it, a $900 million odd dollar offer from Channel 10 a couple of years ago to, to, to cover the entire shebang. And, was it $990 million? Yes, $990 million and Fox and Seven's offer was essentially 15 million more per year. And I was, in hindsight, and it is a big hindsight thing, I wish they'd taken it because as much as I want cricket to be on one of the sort of the big two, nine or seven, at least 10 would have loved it. They would have changed their logo to a cricket bat. They would have called themselves the cricket station. It would have been the most loving you could have possibly imagined. It would have been a nice home for it. And I'm angry at myself for not being angrier at the deal a few years ago. I thought, oh, well, yeah, the, the, the white ball internationals are going behind a paywall. Um, some of the big bash is going to be behind a paywall, but we're not losing any games because there were extra games that were added on. So the same number of games of the big bash were on free-to-air as had been on in the past. And I kind of just swallowed that line, hook, line and sinker, and, and agreed with it. But now looking back on it, it's a bloody disaster. Oh, I, I totally, totally disagree with you. And, Paul, you and I are usually on the same wavelength. So this is a big <laughs> I thought you were about to agree with me. I thought you were about to no, agree with me. No, I totally disagree <laughs> with you because, first of all, I'm not 
I, I, I don't, we don't really know the details around Channel 10's offer and how serious it was and if they really had the ability to take up that offer. I know there's the rumours being written, but anyway, but, but, but for argument's sake, if we say, okay, their offer was bigger, where would cricket be right now? Have you seen what's happening with Channel 10? Like they have gotten rid of all their, uh, all their state bulletins like in terms of news they have sacked a whole bunch of people it's really sad what's happening at 10 at Rick the moment have saved them Jaleesa. I, no it wouldn't because you you make you don't make money off cricket that's the thing you don't as a broadcaster you you take it up for several other reasons which paul's pointed out before but you don't take it up for financial reasons at all. It costs so much money. And I just think I'm so happy they didn't go with 10 because it would have been an even worse disaster at the moment. Well, I don't know how it could get much worse than it is. In terms of not making money, I, I think that ideally they still want to. I understand that um, the, the point I've made making in the past was that back in the day, Channel 9 were making a fistful of money because um, was it Dan Breddick's book showed how Kerry Packer was probably not paying as much as he should have for the rights. But I think these days, even though you do get those extra benefits of trying to have the gravitas of the Australian side and being able to promote your shows for the whole year, I think in an ideal world, they still want to actually make some money from it. I don't think they'd go into it if they thought they were going to just consistently lose it, would they? Well, but you don't make money from it. Like, it, it is consistently proven that you, you don't make money. Nine didn't make money for years off it, and that eventually is what... Yeah, I, I just think if they'd gone with 10, the way that 10's gone at the moment where they've had to sack a whole bunch of people and cut programming i can't imagine cricket would have been in a position they just would have just had cricket on all the time would have been another cricket channel but but jaleesa to your point it's been pretty widely reported that that 990 million dollar offer by channel 10 was legit and and my understanding is that piva amafio that idiot that left cricket australia and Sutherland just wanted a, a, a $1 billion deal. So they pushed and pushed and pushed and they got what they wanted. They got the big headline, the biggest deal ever, but it's left cricket in a catastrophic state now. And uh, Honestly, think though, if cricket had gone to 10, even if it had gone to nine, do you not think these discussions would be having being had? Yes, I absolutely think this would not be happening. Channel 10 were winning with the Big Bash. Uh, what Splitting the Big Bash coverage was a disaster. So Tim would have had all the Big Bash, which would have meant it was a ratings juggernaut. They would have had the test, they would have had the white ball, and they would have probably asked for a discount. But again, it would have just been one network dealing with CA this time. And I, I just, yeah, I, I don't think the same. If that, if that were true, then 10 would sweep in right now and buy it. Well, if, they still if, might. If it made financial it's a buyer's sense, market then- now, isn't it? Because whatever it's, happens, if, no. if Channel 7 drop the coverage, then either 9 or 10, if they want to pick it up, we'll just they know they've got CA in a corner. They need the game covered this summer and they'll get it at half what 7 paid. 7 are paying, what, $75 million a year? 9 or 10 will get it for 40 or 45 10, I can't imagine 10 possibly being in the market having just stripped out a bunch of programs because... Because that's because those news bulletins were bleeding money probably. I'm sure CBS in the States has enough money to cover the cricket. Oh, absolutely. They have enough money to cover everything that they've stopped now. It's whether you do it or you don't and whether it's going to make financial sense. I suppose from my point of view, I'm making two points. Uh, the, the, the Channel 10 point is one, but the other one is... is 
I'm more angry at myself for not being angrier back in the day when they put the the white <laughs> internationals behind the paywall. I think oh, that's I the, was furious. I'm still furious about that. Uh, as for Channel Ten, I see your point, Jaleesa, and you maybe that maybe they would be struggling. Um, but I just think that the thing that has annoyed me about with Channel Seven is that because they've only just picked up the test matches and that's it, they haven't kind of gone all in. And for them, uh, it's now just this thing that they want to get rid of. Whereas if they had been forced to pick up the entire thing, uh, maybe it would have been different. Maybe they, maybe Cricket Australia should have aimed for what they had, and that is to have two main Fredware broadcasters, one with the Big Bash, let that be Channel 10, and then the other one with, with Channel 7 on, of the test matches, and fa- found a way to have the White Ball Internationals on Fredware as well. But... It does seem what Menard said is true, that they were so keen to get that $1 billion figure that they might have not been approaching the negotiations in the right way. You know what I think we're seeing across sporting codes at the moment with broadcasting in Australia is I think we're seeing almost a correction, like COVID is maybe the correction that's happening because sporting broadcasts, like it is insane to think you are ever losing money on a major sport. Like that would never happen in America. Like the networks wouldn't buy a sport unless they were making a ton of money out of it the fact that you were losing money is kind of crazy that maybe with this is the correction in, in- I, think, I think we're seeing across the media not just in this instance COVID has really forced uh, a reassessment by media companies and we're seeing people laid off shows being cut and again you know seven are looking to just ditch the cricket and save some money I think, Jaleesa, your point is good there because I think that um, the way that Cricket Australia negotiated, I think, was almost with a foreshadowing that this was going to happen, that the NRL and the AFL and then Cricket were all getting paid far too much for their rights and there was a feeling of this is the last time we're ever going to get this, so let's get every last cent out of it because in the future there's going to have to be that correction. Obviously, they didn't foreshadow COVID, but even without that, it did seem like they were paying too much. Amazon Prime would pay, you would think, hundreds of millions of dollars for the cricket rights in the future. That could be what we um, see happening. That, that would be the absolute death of cricket if it goes from free-to-air. If, if any sport that goes from free-to-air dies a very slow death. The thing, Julissa, my kids don't even know what free-to-air TV is. There's a whole new generation that will never, ever look at the main networks the way we do. Yeah, but they're not here yet. Yeah, 100%, but they're not... They're not far away, though. Really but no, but I, yeah, I, I think if, if Amazon took the cricket tomorrow, it would be the worst thing ever to happen. Yeah, yeah, it would be the worst thing five, ten ever. years when this deal's up. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe at some point in the future, yeah, I agree. Because... Or Netflix or any of these streaming services, Menas Network's coming, I might buy <laughs> I've actually got a solution for Cricket Australia if they want me as a CEO. Okay, here, far away. Bad ideas, here they come. No, no, no. This is a very good idea. And Cricket Australia, my DMs are open. You're going to get you're gonna shit ton of DMs now. Bad luck. Oh, no. My DMs are open for commercial purposes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would, I'd really like to see a sport in Australia take the risk of packaging it up themselves and selling it. So that's what happens in America. The, the sports package the whole thing themselves. So hire their commentators package it up, produce the whole thing, then they sell it to a network. So then the network doesn't have to worry about buying commentators and cameras and everything else. The, that job's already done. It's just, here's your package, here's what you're getting, where's the biggest bidder? 
Yeah, I think that's the way of the future, 100%. I'll package it up and I'll sell it off to everyone. It may well be the way of the future, but I hope it doesn't happen because I don't want the cricket network to be – I don't want cricket to be in control of the broadcast. That's like the BCCI control. And I want um, I want there to be that level of at least arm's length where the network can um, – maybe not, as, not, maybe not to the extent that Channel 7 is having a go at cricket now, but um, otherwise it becomes a feeling like it's propaganda. Yeah, that's true. It it just it works in America. It works with sports over there. It just uh, I just think like in terms of a commercial value, maybe that's the way to do it. Just with this particular dispute, what where we're at now is a payment is due to Cricket Australia from its broadcasters, Seven and Fox Sports. Uh, this week they they've got to submit a payment. So we'll see what happens there. And the other thing is that Channel Seven are due to cover. The women's internationals, they're playing New Zealand the end of this month at Allen Border Field. So we will get to see sort of the way things are travelling in the next couple of weeks. I mean, if seven don't turn up at Allen Border Field, that's going to be a disaster. I don't think that I, – I can't imagine them not doing that. I think it would be a really bad look. I agree. Yeah, they'll do it and they'll say, um, you know, welcome to the Melbourne football ground. Uh, where have the goalposts gone? And what's that brown patch in the – oh, it's cricket. Oh, okay, great. all right the next cricket headline there have been some big big bash signings so peter hanscom has moved from the melbourne stars to the hobart hurricanes after an incredible snub by the stars he was not offered a contract and hanscom is one of their foundation players who was there right at the beginning seems slightly strange move if you ask me yeah, it's also, I think, a sign of where the Big Bash is. Like, um, I almost fell asleep when you were telling me that news. I just don't care. Same. I'll just do a monologue on the Big Bash every show if you want. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> um, I'm saying that uh, because of the bad publicity about the Big Bash at the moment, it just seems, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, I've, 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 I've lost a bit of affection for it somehow, um, which is not a, not a great thing for the, for the competition, I don't think, if, if that's how other people are feeling as well. I'm exactly where Paul is, and I'd really like to know how other people are feeling. Are they excited about the Big Bash? Are they- like, are you on a day on this podcast? Yeah, exactly. It's a shame when, when all these things that happen, and, like, I, it, it is so fun, and I know you hate us bringing up other sports, but it is so funny to think about the time when NRL was negotiating all this and how everything, and Todd Greenberg obviously left as the CEO and, Um, how everything was so volatile then. And once the competition started, it's the combat. It's, we talk about the competition now. It's just this yucky period where they've got, we've got to get through. I agree with you, Menas, though, that, um, now that I've got over that, it is a big, it is a strange move for them to have kicked Tanscom out, given he was going very close. It was, well, it was the reserve for the Australia World Cup, eventually played in the, in the semi final. I know that's 50 over cricket. I see you've got news about Renshaw as well. That's probably pretty good um, moving mm. to the strikers. He probably needs a chain of, change of scenery. And, and as you say, working with Jason Gillespie, that's a really good move because he's someone who still has a lot to offer, I think, at the top level. Yeah, definitely. Just on Hanscom, I mean, the point was made by him that the, the limitations of the salary cap are why they couldn't afford him. So he's probably got a better deal at Hobart. With Renshaw, I actually heard him on... Um, RSN network in Melbourne today and he's looking forward to getting a break from the sort of Queensland culture and going to the strikers every season and playing there so I think that'll be great and Wes Agar spoke glowingly of the culture in Adelaide when he was on the podcast yeah interesting one the next headline the cat well 
Paul, if you weren't interested in the Big Bash, this one's going to be even <laughs> less interesting. Uh, the Caribbean Premier League is done and dusted. <laughs> Trinbago Knight Riders beat the St. Lucia Zooks in the final, which was a seesawing contest. Farward Armoured is part of that Trinbago Knight Riders team. But apart from him, he took 13 wickets and was fourth on the list of wicket takers at the CPL. It was a pretty quiet tournament for the Aussies. Ben Dunk, just 155 runs in the tournament. Chris Lynn, 138 runs at 17 with a strike rate of just over 100. And it wasn't great batting conditions there, but yeah, Lynn didn't look great. So this Caribbean Premier League has come and gone. Did either you of you two watch any of it? Yeah, I watched um, half an hour of, of one game and I found it uh, dull uh, in the extreme. And I said, I'll watch some more, but I just never got around to it. But that's not, that, that's not surprising in the sense that it is on a ridiculous time frame. I've never really watched a great deal of the Caribbean Premier League. Uh, I'm sure it's a good tournament. Uh, if I was forced to watch it, I'm sure I'd get into it. I flicked it on in the hope of watching it and fell asleep. So no, I, I can't say I did. Okay. Well, I, I watched a lot of it and I can't wait for the IPL to start. The next cricket headline and the final one, a video called Cricket Connecting Country was aired last week on Cricket Australia's digital channels featuring Mel Jones, Rachel Haynes and Dan Christian. Both Haynes and Christian discuss instances of casual racism around the cricket community. And then afterwards, Dan Christian received some online abuse from a couple of trolls, I guess you'd call them. Uh, which was just not nice to see, questioning his how Aboriginal he was. I guess you already see why we need that video when you get those sort of responses. But then Michael Holding, um, who who made a, a very strong Black Lives Matter statement before the England-West Indies series, uh, criticised Australia for issuing a lame statement and not taking a knee before the series started against England. I guess I'll start with you, Paul. What, what do you think about Holding's criticism? Oh, I agree with Holding. I think that it's, it's very difficult for the Australian players because they're, they're thrust into this position of being uh, role models and, um, you know, that some, we're talking about some pretty major world issues. That, but I would have liked to see the Australian side in the first opportunity that they had, the men's side playing after the Black Lives Matter movement had begun, to show solidarity, to take a knee and to, to stand along with, with what other sports have done. And I think that Finch's statement was well-intentioned and said all nice things, but it's one of these things that it's, it's if you're going to be standing with a protest, sometimes you can't just do the comfortable um, sort of sensible thing. You have to open yourself up for, for criticism, which a lot of the Australians would have done. But I think it would have been the right thing to do, although I do note that Joffre Archer has hit back and sort of disagreed with Michael Holding's criticism of the England side for not having continued to do it, to do it saying that um, he says that a lot of things are being done um, by the by the England and Wales cricket board. So, yeah, it's a difficult issue, but I'd have, I'd have liked to see the Australians behind it. So I, I think it would have been a really nice gesture, but, again, I th- I think that I'm sort of torn, not because I think that they shouldn't have done it, but I would also hope that the sport's taking a knee, that there's a lot more other things going on as well behind the scenes that are improving this issue. So I don't think necessarily that just because they didn't take a knee that there's not other things perhaps happening. But I think it would have been a nice gesture, particularly when you've seen it in a lot of other sports. So um, I guess it's hard to judge 
why people do and, and don't do it. I just hope that there's meaningful bit change behind all sports, whether they're taking a knee or not. I don't think it's so much the sport. but that It's partially what the sport does, but I think it's the, the idea is for it to reflect wider society, that Michael Holding can say it far more eloquently than me, but that the whole concept of white privilege that does exist in, in, in our society, there'd be plenty of young Australians who probably don't think that's the case but if they saw someone like Aaron Finch, who is a well-spoken, charismatic person, doing something as dramatic as taking a knee and wearing the, the badge and everything else, I think that would have had a much more profound impact than the pleasant but fairly empty statement that he made. My feeling is that Australia just took the easy way out this time. It was an easy way out, issue a lame statement, not do anything. And actually, you know, when you look at Australia's reputation around the world, we are seen as a country that has racist tendencies. So, therefore, it would have been a, a perfect time for Australia to, to make a statement and it, w- it would have done nothing but good. So, I just think it was a cop-out, a complete cop-out. Yeah, I just don't think it does anything for Australia's reputation worldwide. Why couldn't this be Michael Holding praising Australia for taking a stand rather than backtracking and and as I said, issuing some lame statement. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it definitely is, sticks out like a sore thumb when most other sports you've seen it done in and then we haven't done it. It would have been nice, as Paul said, to have seen them take the knee and, and set an example for all you know, young and old people in Australia. All right, that was the Cricket Headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. We're going to take a final break, then we'll be back with viewer mail and can't let it go. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Jaleesa and Paul. And if you've got time, please go on and follow us on Instagram or Twitter at OzCricketPod. That's AUS Cricket Pod. You can send in any questions or comments to there or email us OzCricketPod at gmail.com. Now, we have had some listener messages, and this one's from Matthew, who lives in Adelaide, and he's written that it's a very average side since Justin Langer has taken over. Jason Gillespie was the right guy. And he's given some figures, Paul. You'd like this. Matthew's into his stats. So since Langer took over, Australia have won 10 tests, lost five and drawn three. That's a winning percentage of 55. Our ODI team has won 20, lost 20. That's a winning percentage of 50%. And in T20s, we've won 15, lost 11, two no results, a winning percentage of 53.6. Good stats there, Matthew. I have to say I completely disagree with this take. Totally. I think Jason Gillespie would have been a a very, very, very good coach of Australia. So Australia couldn't have gone wrong. But when Justin Langer took over, this team was – below average it was shocking it was the one day side was in disarray the test side was well fiddling with balls in South Africa and the T20 side couldn't win a game there was chaos so I don't think Justin Langer is done anything bad I think he's been a good coach yeah me too and I think that um we've still got to see how it all plays out but you've a lot of the time when Justin Langer first took over of course they were missing Smith and, and Warner from the side and that was uh, that accounted for a lot of their defeats in those early days. And I think that 
Um, we were dominant for much of the World Cup, ultimately had one bad game in the semi-final, and that could happen. And then we won the Ashes. Um, yes, no, we won the Ashes in addition to retaining them. I want to emphasise that that's the way that it should be phrased. And we drew the series and thus, in so doing, won the Ashes. Let's see what he can do in the next couple of years. But I'm happy that he's the coach. I agree with you. I would have been happy with Gillespie as well. But I, I think that we had two very strong candidates there. And I think Australian cricket's in good hands. I don't think you can, unless you had stats on Gillespie, which we don't, I don't think you could ever say that he was going to do a better job. I agree. I think he would have done a fine job. But I think Justin Lang has done a great job in also not just the the results on the field, but just changing what was a really toxic time in Australian cricket and turning that around. And we, we won the Ashes. I mean, let's be honest, for the casual cricket observer, we could lose every single game and we win the Ashes and everyone thinks, great, cricket's going well. It'd be good if one day Hawkeye could get so sophisticated that it actually could do the projective ball tracking for what would have happened if Gillespie had taken over and they could have seen. That would have been pretty cool. That would be why. <laughs> It'll probably happen in 50 years. We'll be sitting here talking about it. Right, that was Paul's wacky sense of humour. Let's get on to Can't Let It Go. This is the way we end all our shows with that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. So, Jaleesa, we, we didn't have you last week. so I don't have one this week. No. All right, well, <laughs> I've got two. All right, you go, Paul. You can do Jaleesa's as well. All right. Well, the first one is that from that second one-day game, everyone is saying what a genius Owen Morgan is for his tactics of bringing Archer and Wokes on to bowl when the game was on the line and really putting six and seven fieldsmen inside the ring. And I just think what he did was the right thing to do and it should have been the obvious thing to do. I accept most captains wouldn't have done it because most captains seem to be um, too much playing on the same formula. But if that's what amounts to genius standard captaincy, then, geez, that um, bewilders me. Um, I think that uh, we, we should be expecting a bit more acumen from our captains than, than that going as one of the best tactical things ever seen. And my second point is, um, I'm really concerned about India's ability to host the 2021 T20 World Cup, that it's only just over a year away. And each day this week, India have had in excess of 90,000 new coronavirus cases Per day, who knows what the situation in the world will be in a year from now? Hopefully, we've got a vaccine, etc. But as things stand, that tournament must already have a, a question mark next to it. I think they're going to look at playing that tournament in somewhere like the UAE or something like they're doing with the IPL. Then just bring it to Australia. <laughs> you can have both. If they do play it in the UAE, then you know that's that's the UAE hosting it. Like it's um, they're, they're a proper yeah. cricketing nation. That that you know that is the, that is the Indians will no longer be hosting it, in my opinion. Well, that's right. And, of course, the IPL is being played there, so the UAE will get some experience holding a big tournament like that. Mike can't let it go. I've actually got two because Paul sent me one this morning that's really triggered me. But the first one is cricket fans are being allowed at Allen Border Field to watch Australia take on New Zealand in the international games at the end of this month. But they are being encouraged not to cheer obviously because of the, the issues around COVID. So, you know, you don't want droplets of liquid going everywhere when people are screaming when Elisa Healy hits another six. Uh, but this is going to be fine because, you know, at the SCG, they've been encouraging everyone to sit on their hands for the last 10 years. So <laughs> no different. Good point. How many people are they allowing? I think under 50% capacity. Well, we've said it before, man, is that... Um... I think the SCG did need to rein things in a little bit because it used to be a, an absolute pigsty there, but they've gone vastly 
too far the other way. Maybe they could actually have a, a half the ground sort of de- denominated as the party stand and you can do whatever you want. And the other half for, for those who don't want to um, have anything that upsets them. Well, actually, at this Women's International, there there's going to be six sections and you have to stay in your section and within those sections, you're appropriately spaced. So it's going to be COVID safe. And I think it's sold out. So the, the fans oh, have snapped up the tickets. And last, my can't let it go is, Paul, you sent a photo of all these new mascots being trotted out at the SCG. Only one of them's new. What's that, the clock? The clock, yeah. So they've got these new mascots for New South Wales cricket, well, one new one, but they took a photo and Paul pointed out that there's no mascot for the New South Wales Sheffield Shield team. If you're a a listener out there and you have some ideas, send them through and I'll forward them on to my contacts in New South Wales cricket because we need a mascot for next summer. Here's what it should be. It should be a mascot of a man kneeling, looking into a cricket bag and seeing a baggy blue cap and it's clear that he's just been selected to play for New South Wales and under the baggy blue cap is a baggy green just to trigger every other state. And then it also, the other mascot should be a mascot of, of the state of New South Wales bearing the rest of the country on its back because that's what we've done with cricket um, for, for since its inception. 47 Sheffield Shield titles. We rule the place, baby. I like it. <laughs> I like it too. Have you drawn it up? I'd like It'd be to a difficult a concept to actually uh, bring to life. <laughs> it's, it, it, I'd like to see that maybe <laughs> yeah. foam. Well, listeners, we've come to the end of this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Any final words for the listeners out there, Jaleesa? No, I hope everyone's doing well, thinking of all of the people in Victoria. But uh, rarely am I thinking of the people in Victoria when it comes to cricket, but I am thinking of you all, so... I hope everyone's doing well. What a sweetheart. Paul, you? I'm optimistic. I think that the, the, the best thing about cricket is that the product, in my opinion, is the best it's ever been since I first started watching in the sort of early to mid-80s. So when normal service is resumed, whether that's in a month or a year or two or three years, I still think that cricket has um, a really bright future in this country, even if <laughs> the main broadcaster and the cricket board are currently at loggerheads. I look forward to watching cricket on seven. (laughs) This will all work out. And I look forward to, in the next podcast, reviewing the five-time world champions beating the one-time world champions in the final ODI. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. We'll be back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.